I want to read this marvelous passage of Scripture, one of the favorite passages of all of us in all of the Bible, a portion from the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, God's great love letter to us. In fact, the whole Bible is God's great love letter to us, and the theme of what we're talking about and singing about today, and should be every day, of course, is the love of God. I begin in the fourth verse of the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking, and it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And then he concludes, And now abideth faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is, greatest of these is love. Let's bow our heads and hearts together as we join hands with one another next to us and across the aisle and wherever convenient in this place today as we come to pray together. Lord, we thank you and praise you for that love incomparable and inimitable and unconditional that is personified in your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray, dear God, that our hearts today will be warmed again by his loving presence in us and with us. For, Lord, we really do need to be filled with love. There's so many other emotions that crowd out love, so much conditional love in our lives toward others and even toward ourselves. And so, Father... Help us to remember the song that we sang as children. First song a lot of us ever learned to sing. And may we say it again in our prayer today, reminding ourselves that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but thou art strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Thank you for telling us. Thank you for showing us in and through your Son, Jesus our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been in this room alone? It's a big room. I've been in here alone. I'm in here alone a number of times. I sometimes come in here intentionally just to sit. I sit up here on these steps and try to picture you and who will be here and, and just ask the Lord to just walk up and down every aisle and every seat and every place and touch every person who's going to be here. And sometimes when I walk out, I'll just go out and touch each one of the pews and say, Lord, this is, this is where we, we need you Sunday. We need you Sunday. We need you Sunday. I was in here Thursday. Just my son Stephen and I, we were doing a little television filming and promotion of uh, it's uh, Vision 2000, which you, you'll see on these screens later, uh, and this month and next month. And I sat up here while we were getting ready to do that. And I thought about you. 
You know, we've been doing this together a long time, some of us. I figured up, uh, can't figure it up accurately, exactly. Somewhere near 4,000 times I've stood here and tried to preach. I ought to get it right one of these days, you know, <laughs> keep doing it that long. Um, but you know, if the Lord's not here, then all of our speech is a sounding brass and clanging cymbal. What Paul said in that first part of the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, from which we read earlier. But he's promised to be here when his word is sung and proclaimed and preached as uh, fallible and frail as uh, the communicators are. It is the message that never fails. Love never fails, and that's the message because we're here to talk about God. We're here to talk about God, and God's nature is love. Jesus did not come to make a Christian out of God. God was not initially angry, judgmental. He has been from the very beginning, before the very beginning, because he has no beginning and he has no ending. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is love. That's his nature. He has many attributes, but his nature is love. He is a creator, but he's a loving creator. He is a judge, but he is a loving judge. He is a sustainer, but he is a loving sustainer. So love is the essential, basic nature of God. And Jesus came to pers personalize that, to personify that. We would never believe that if Jesus hadn't come in person. God could have told us all day long that he loved each of us as though we were the only one to love, as Augustine said. But we wouldn't really know that or believe that if Jesus had not come in person. We wouldn't have believed it if he was written in a book and dropped over from the balcony of heaven. And he said, I love you. We still wouldn't have believed it. Too much in life seems to contradict it. So God came in person, in Jesus Christ, to personify, personalize, to epitomize what love is. And if you want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus. Jesus is not like God. God is like Jesus. That's not a mere play on words. You want to know what God's like, you begin with Jesus. Jesus reveals everything we need to know about the nature and the character of God. Jesus knew the Old Testament. He grew up on it. He went to synagogue every Sabbath, Friday night, Saturday. And I know he was familiar with Jeremiah. There's a verse of Scripture in Jeremiah. Jeremiah so often is thought of, properly so, as the weeping prophet. He came along during a terrible time in Israel's life when they were just in the pits, I mean, some of them had already, they, they, they'd been defeated and some of them taken away into captivity and another defeat was coming and the rest of them were going to be taken away into captivity. It was a horrendous time for them. And right in the middle of that, God spoke to Jeremiah some words that still ring true of the eternal nature of God in the 31st chapter of the book of Jeremiah, the third verse. Let me read it to you in following. It's marvelous. Make a note of it. Go home. If you don't have your Bible with you, go home and underline it. Uh, carry it around on a little piece of paper in your pocket like I have just to memorize it, which is one way I try to memorize Scripture. The Lord came to us when we were a long way off. God appeared to us from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I have built you up again 
and you will be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. Again, you will take up your tambourine and go out to dance with the joy. When we were a long way off, he came to us. Now, I wonder if anybody in this room today feels like you're a long way from God. That you're just so far away you couldn't get in touch with him if you had all the prophets and the apostles to intercede for you. You may feel you're a long way off from God because of things that you've done. That can happen. We all know that can happen to us. Or sometimes we feel a long way off from God when everything seems to be going against us. And when the storm time comes and the difficulties come, we feel like, uh-oh, I'm a long way from God or this wouldn't be happening to me. Well, the children of Israel were in the pits, to say the least, and God says, look, I'm coming to you from a long way off. Make a difference where you are. You may be way over in captivity in Persia, but I'm going to come to you. I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. The marvelous initiative of God to come to us. I wonder if Jesus was thinking about this 31st chapter of Jeremiah when he told the story of the prodigal son. When he was a great way off, the father saw him. Look, look at this progression. It's magnificent. When the boy who had been in the far country, fouled up everything, spent everything, lost all of his friends because he'd run out of money. When he was a great way off, not when he was home and holy, not when he was righteous and right, but when he was a long way off, the father saw him had compassion on him, ran down the road to meet him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him, and said, my son is home. Make a difference how far away you may feel for God here today. He has come here to this place and at this time and in these moments to meet you. Make any difference what you've done or how far away you feel you are. You don't feel you're within shouting distance of God. Let me tell you, he's within running distance of you, and he's coming to you right now. When we were a great way off, and he comes saying what? You're going to have to pay the penalty. You're going to be under judgment. You may even go to hell. No. Long before Jesus revealed it, God said it through Jeremiah and many of the other Old Testament prophets and patriarchs. Listen to what God says to the person a long way off. I have loved you with an everlasting love. How long is everlasting? How long is everlasting? We know when sin began. We know when it began in the world. We can go back to Genesis in the first chapters of Genesis when Adam and Eve decided they could run the world better than God. And so we know historically when sin began. We know when it began in our lives. We can look back and remember the time when we realized that we by our own choice were sinners. 
that we had balanced in our mind right and wrong, and we'd flung down the right and taken the wrong on the chance of being free like Adam and Eve thought they were going to be free. And we know it. And we were convicted of it and have been convicted of it. We know when evil came into our own lives by our own choice, not because of Adam, but because of us. We know when sin began. When did love begin? It didn't have any beginning because it's God. God is love. That's his nature. And God has no beginning and no ending. He's from everlasting to everlasting. So love never fails. Love lasts because God is everlasting. So is his love. You don't get God's love by starting to love him. He loved you before you ever knew his name. He loved you a million years ago before you were ever, thought, ever even thought of by your parents or grandparents or great-grandparents. He has loved you from everlasting to everlasting. I remember when I was a little boy in our home in Dallas, we didn't have air conditioning like most homes didn't in those days. I remember, boy, it was a sign of luxury today. We got an attic fan so it could pull all that old hot air outside, inside. Um, worked pretty good at night. But uh, my brothers in my bedroom... Uh, my bed was uh, in the corner there, but it was beside a window. And in the summer, I would always sleep with my head at the foot of the bed because there was a great big window there, and it was cooler there. And I could also see the stars. And I can remember as a little boy sitting there and thinking about eternity. Now, the reason I was thinking about it was not because I was so spiritual and all that. It was because I resisted having to come in from play. My mother and father said, "But there, it's time to come in, time to eat supper, take a bath, and go to bed. Got to go to school tomorrow. And I thought, boy, what would it be like to have a never-ending day where you never had to stop playing? It was, now, life has changed for me. Uh, I don't mind a little rest every now and then, you know. I, uh, but when we get to heaven, there's not going to be any fatigue. There's not going to be any stress. There's not going to be any pain. That's all going to be done away with. And so that's why we have an everlasting day. And I would, I would lie there in bed at night and try to comprehend eternity. I would try to imagine a day that never ended. And as I even do it right now, I begin to get out there and get kind of dizzy. My mind cannot comprehend that because I'm a creature of time and space that God is not and love is not. And God has loved you from before you ever even knew how to spell his name before you ever thought about him, before you had the slightest inkling there was such a person. He has loved you from everlasting to everlasting. And he says, I have drawn you. We just sang, he lifted me. That's right. He drew us like you draw water out of a well. He lifted us. I have drawn you with loving kindness. And that's one of the most beautiful words in the English language. Takes two magnificent words and puts them together, love and kind. And over and over you will read God, loving kindness, loving kindness. There's some people who think they love, they love, but they're not kind. Like the little girl who prayed, oh, God, make all the bad people good and all the good people nice. Be kind one to another. Did you hear when I read it from the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians a while ago? Love is what? Love is kind. Our churches, our state, our nation, particularly in a political year, needs to be reminded of the quality of kindness. 
We're so prone to anger and to judgmentalism. God has drawn us by loving kindness. Now, this is very important. If, 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 you, if, you, forget, if you forget everything else that's said today, and you may, let me point out the difference between drawn and driven. Because when you understand the difference between drawn and driven, you will understand the difference between some religions. And you will understand the difference between some of us within the Christian faith. And it is a crucial difference. It is a definitive difference. Do we believe in the drawing power of the love of God? Or do we believe in force? Driven. God says he draws us. And the day God's people become cowboys instead of sheep herders, we're headed for trouble. We're not here to drive people. We're to draw people. Loving kindness. And that's supposed to be characteristic of us as his people. Draw people. Loving kindness. I will build you, he says. I will build you up again. You will be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you. Boy, watch Jesus in his ministry. I, I just tempted to spend more time on that point, but I don't have the time. Look through his ministry. Look how many people Jesus drew to him. That's the theme of that window right up there. The theme is the statement of Jesus. Now, if I be lifted up, I will what? Draw all men to me. Not drive them, not force them, not coerce them. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, beware, listen to this, this is a great quote, beware of any religion that depends upon terror. And there are many that do, some in the name of Christianity. Beware of any religion that depends upon terror, fear. It is loving kindness that draws us. Oh, look at him. I, I, we could just run through the whole, uh, whole New Testament. Bartimaeus, this blind beggar, didn't even have a first name. He was so insignificant. Sitting there beside the road in Jericho, and Jesus walks along, and he starts calling out to him. Boy, was he a long way off. And Jesus stopped dead in his tracks and said, bring him to me. He drew him. Walking down the road one day, here was this hated tax collector up there in the tree. The guy who'd sold out his community, who'd ripped off everybody, had stolen money. He was up there in the tree. Jesus walked along. What happened? Jesus looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to have lunch with you today at your house. He drew him. And they walked down the road and went to Zacchaeus. We don't know what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. Maybe nothing. He just showed him what love was like. And Zacchaeus came out and started throwing all of his money away. He said, boy, the people I've ripped off, I'm going to pay them back two times, three times, four times over. Why? Because of force? Because of judgment? No, because of love. Loving kindness draws us. Drew Bartimaeus, drew Zacchaeus, drew all of those disciples. He said, come on, follow me. Come on, follow me. Come on, follow me. Took a woman full of seven devils, Mary Magdalene, said, come on. Your sins are gone. They're remembered against you no more. Listen, if you feel something right now inside of you, 
kind of pulling you as a man came forward 60 plus years of age in the early service today. And he said, man, I need to talk about this some more. But he said, I've been a long way off. And he said, I, I'm taking you at your word. I said, I hope you're taking God at his word. He said, I am. But I need the Lord in my life. You see, there's something happening. Listen, it's not Buck Nathaniel. I can promise you it's not Buck Nathaniel. It's not this sermon. It's the work of the Spirit of God that reaches out to draw. I will draw. I will draw all men to me. So if you feel something tugging at your inside, that's not somebody playing with your emotions. That's God talking to your spirit. Listen. I will draw you with loving kindness. I will build you up again. I need to get to this. I will build you up again. And you will be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. One of my favorite verses is in that, in the 23rd Psalm. The whole Psalm is my favorite. One of my favorites is that verse that says, He restoreth my soul. Now, what that verse literally says is, He brings me back from wandering. He brings me back from wandering. He restores me. Some of you in this room restore furniture. You take old beat up pieces of furniture, you take all the old paint and varnish off of it, you fix it up, and you redo it, and you make it look better than it ever did before. What have you done? You have refreshed that, refurbished that, renewed that, restored that. He restoreth my soul. Right here is a crucial difference between salvage and salvation. Let me point it out. Suppose a ship sinks out there in the Atlantic, and they say, well, it wasn't worth very much, and it's hard to get to. We're just going to go down in there and diving bells and other things, and we're going to bring that old vessel up piece by piece and sell it for scrap. That's salvage. That's good. But suppose somebody comes along and says, we're going to go down there and we're going to raise that old ship. And we're going to lift it up. We're going to tow it into dry dock. And we're going to keep the outer shell. But we're going to put a new engine in that thing. We're going to put new furnishings in that thing. We're going to refurbish it. We're going to make it better than it ever was before. And it's going to sail the seas in glory once again. My friend, that's salvation and that's what Jesus does. We're not salvaged. We're saved. He doesn't just bring us up bit by piece to take us to heaven and the rest of us goes to hell. No, he raises us up. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. All the old stuff is passed away. All things have become new and we sail the seas of God's grace, giving him praise and glory for rescuing us, for drawing us up, for restoring us, for saving us. We're not salvage. We're not junk. We belong to Jesus. We're to sail the seas in glory. Anybody here ever say amen besides a few people in the choir? Okay, that's all right. Do, do you feel better every now and then saying that? Now, don't get nervous. I know you're afraid. I know you're afraid to say amen because you've heard that saying amen to a preacher is like saying sick him to a dog. It's all right. I'm not going to go on for another hour, just another 30 minutes, not another hour. So don't get worried about it. I've said it often. I'm going to keep saying it often. No one can go back and have a new beginning. That ship cannot go back and have a new beginning. You and I cannot go back and have a new beginning. But we can begin right now and have a new ending. 
We can, amen. <laughs> Wonderful. There's another 30 minutes. Boy, howdy. Give up on lunch. We'll just stay. Uh, oh, listen. That is such a wonderful, glorious truth. It deserves an amen. Uh, here's something. It says, I will renew you, I will build you up, and you will be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. Virgin Israel? Israel had slept with all the foreign gods around. She was no virgin. She hadn't been true to her Lord, to her Master. She'd slept with the gods of Baal and Ashtoreth. She was spoiled goods. But do you hear what God's saying? He will restore your virginity. And he's not just talking to Israel. He's talking to people. All the years the locusts have eaten will be restored. He'll make you a new person. Inside and out. And he wipes away all of your sins. And all the horrible memory of it that may be plaguing you to this moment. I will build you up again and you will be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. You're clean. You're new. You're restored. You're saved. So, no wonder the result is celebration. Who wouldn't celebrate an experience like that? So what does God say? What's the result of a God who seeks us and has loved us from everlasting to everlasting and has drawn us with loving kindness and has built us up again and restored us and restored our innocence before God? What does that do? It causes us to celebrate a God like that and the grace like that and the love like that. So what does he say to do? Again, take up your tambourines and go out to dance and be joyful. Take up your tambourine. I wish all of us had a tambourine. We could do it right now. Just submit it in our mind. Lift it up and shake that thing. Lift up your tambourine. And go out and dance. Even on the Baylor campus. <laughs> Go out and dance. With the joyful. Go out and dance with the joyful. I, I need to conclude, and I want to conclude with a story that is very old, and I've told it years ago, and I don't know where it originally came from, but I've heard it 30, 40 years ago. There was an artist in New York, a professional artist, who wanted to paint a picture of his interpretation of the prodigal son in the far country. So he felt like he would uh, go down in the Bowery. And I don't know whether the Bowery today is still what it was back when I was there. But I, when Billy Graham's crusade was in, in New York, his first one, I was there with him for a week. And we spoke around different places. And we went down to the old Bowery Mission, famous rescue mission in the Bowery. And that may have all gone through some reconstruction and renewal, but it was the skid row of New York City. And so this artist went down to the Bowery, 
to find the most dissolute person he could find. Depraved looking, disheveled. We found this guy sitting on a street curb, obviously a wino, long beard, dirty clothes, disheveled looking. He said, sir, don't be frightened. He said, I'm not, I'm not trying to hustle you or anything, but I, this may sound strange to you, but I want, I'm an artist, I'm a professional artist, and I'd like to paint your picture. I said, my picture, you're kidding. It's some sort of trick. No, I said, it's no trick at all. I'm, I'm very honest. I want to paint your picture. And, and he said, to show you how sincere I am, I'll give you some money right now. And, and there's a lot more of this where this came from. I'll give you some money right now to tide you over until tomorrow. And you come to my office and gave him my, my studio and he gave him his address. He said, if you'll come tomorrow, I'll have some more money for you because I want to paint you. I said, you're kidding. He said, no, I'm not kidding. Take the money. Artist thinking he'd take it out and buy some cheap wine with it, some smoke or whatever it was he was drinking. And uh, so the next day, there was a knock at the door, and the artist went to the door. man stood there. The artist didn't think he'd ever seen him before. He said, yes, sir, what can I do for you? Well, it's me. I uh, took the money you gave me and got a shade and a haircut. Bought me a new shirt and tie. I mean, you're going to paint my picture. I want to look as good as I can. And the artist shook his head and said, Sir, that's wonderful. I'm glad you did that. He said, You really don't understand. I wanted you just the way you were. My friend, you can't get off this stuff. You can't do it. God wants us just the way we are. Now, he'll never leave us just the way we were. But he'll take us just as we are. And he'll draw us with his everlasting love. And he'll lift us with loving kindness. He will renew us and restore us. He'll make us better than new. Better than ever. If we'll come just as we are. Why don't you do it? Again, something tugging at you inside. Maybe to come and just kneel here at the front to pray, as a man did in the early service today. You need to say a word to me if you want to. I'll be here. We feel drawn to be a part of this church. You say, well, but what I have to do to be a member of this church? Just come, that's all. There's no test you have to take. No examination that we give you. If this is where you feel God wants you, that's where we want you. And we invite you to come. But I'll be here to greet you, to share anything you want to share, whatever God's impressing you need. Most important of all, remember this. If you feel you're way out in left field, so far from God, that there's no hope for you, listen, His love reaches all the way out in the left field. He'll reach you with His everlasting love. He's drawing you with his loving kindness. Let him do it. And he'll build you up again. And you will be a new person in Christ Jesus. Come on. As the choir sings, you pray and respond as God's Spirit prompts you. Let's stand and sing.